What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 66.0. First, uh, first true episode of 2018, which we have dubbed the year of the JRPG. Uh, today I have with me Matt. Hello, friends. And yeah. Uh, JRPGs, there's a ton of them out there. They kinda, uh, most people were first introduced to JRPGs, RPGs in general from a JRPGs if they're from video game backgrounds. And, um, yeah, we're gonna be playing a wide variety of them. Uh, we, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I am too. We got, we got a, we got a, a little short list of stuff that we really wanna try out. Uh, the first of which has been on our list for, well, since 2013 when it came out. Uh, Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch. Yeah, basically went directly onto the backlog. I swear, mine did perfectly. So, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, Nino Kuni, um, which I should mention, what Nino Kuni stands for. Um, I looked it up, and, um, Nino Kuni is Japanese, and it, it basically translates to another world. Uh, or the second world, something like that. Uh, so it's basically another world, Wrath of the White Witch. Um, came out originally in North America on January 22nd, 2013. Uh, funny enough, I didn't know this. It was, it's been out, it was out in Japan almost a year and a half before it came out anywhere else. So it came yeah, out. Yeah, what I, what I also didn't realize was that it came out on the, DS first. What? Where did you hear that? Yeah, so, uh, in, in all the readings, essentially it was the same game being developed at the same time, one for the DS and one for the PS3. Oh, wow. So let me see here. Uh, it's a role-playing video game developed by Level 5. It was released on the PlayStation 3 in Japan in November of 2011 and published in Western regions by uh, Namco Bandai Games in January of 2013. The game is a significantly enhanced version of Nino Kuni Dominion of the Dark Jin, which originally released on the Nintendo DS in Japan in December of 2010. I have to look. I did not know this. Holy crap. Yeah, Japan only, so it never came out here. There's no English translation as far as I know. Yeah. And uh, I was actually watching some gameplay of it. It it looks shockingly similar to the PS3 version, except that, you know, things are clearly drawn. All the background from what I saw was drawn instead of 3D, instead of rendered. Huh. Interesting. I but, but it looks really good. Wow. I'm looking at some screenshots of it now. That's... That's wild. I had no idea of that. Learned something today. So yeah, uh, let's talk about our history with Nino Kuni. Um, me personally, I saw this. I, I think I'd, I'm sure I've seen like trailers for it and probably saw it at E3 or something like that and said, Ooh, this looks amazing. I need to get it. And I remember I pre-ordered it on Amazon, got it the day it came out, and played about three hours of it, and then never touched it again until we played it for Phoenix Down. Yeah, I have a similar and similarly short history with it in that I, I don't think I pre-ordered it, but I did pick it up 
Uh, actually, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think I ever bought it. I don't think I ever bought it until I got it on the digitally. I don't have a physical copy of it. Like for free? I, yeah, I must have the free version of it. Huh. Interesting. I certainly wanted to play it. Um, never got around to it. Certainly saw the trailers. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, just always looking for a chance to dive into it or, uh, you know, a, a reason to dive into it. Never did. Yeah, the art and animation is um, uh, drawn and created by Studio Ghibli. Um, it, I'm sure most people out there know who Studio Ghibli is. Uh, they created, um, uh, they're best known for their uh, anime movies. Uh, but they have a very unique art style. So, um, Studio Ghibli's did like, uh, Ponyo was one I watched. Um, uh, God, I'm, I'm blanking on stuff. Princess they, Mononoke. Princess Mononoke. Um, Spirited Away. Spirited Away. Yeah, that was the other one. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro. I haven't seen that one. Um, yeah, this, they're, they're known for doing the really, really unique and good animations. Uh, and they make really good, like, movies, just in general. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but developed by Level 5, which is not, we're not shy to Level 5 games. We have played a Level 5 game before on Phoenix Down, which was, uh, Rogue Galaxy. And I see a lot of similarities in this to Rogue Galaxy. Yep. And my my favorite PSP game, I think my favorite PSP game, Jean d'Arc. Jean d'Arc. Yep. Yeah. Let Absolutely me, love that game. Let me look here. I want to see what all they've published. They did Dark, Dark Cloud. Cloud. Yeah. Uh, I haven't played much of it, but I did like what I played. Uh, Rogue Galaxy, uh, Jean d'Arc. Uh, they did the Professor Layton games. Uh, White Knight Chronicles was another one. I That's played. another one I'd like to try at some point. I know it never really got fantastic reviews, but just the fact that Level 5 did it, I want to try it. They, I played White Knight Chronicles 1 and 2. I don't think they did the sequel. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I played it before. Um, it's okay. Uh, I think we're going to be playing a game that's very similar in combat. Uh, to uh, White Knight Chronicles, which is Final Fantasy um, twelve. Um, but yeah, they're they've done a ton of games. Level five's been around for for a long time. Um, yeah, it's funny. I guess you know, looking at the whole list, I've played less, fewer of their games than I thought. But man, some of those like I really like Rogue Galaxy. I really liked even ha not having played it for years until years after it came out. Yeah. Uh, like, I never played Dragon Quest Eight that they made, but one of my best friends did, and I, I, I spent a lot of time watching him play it. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. For a company that's not huge, and they do have a lot of games, and a lot, a lot though, that I, I think I'm, I probably wouldn't try. Yeah. Like this Zuma 11 series. Uh, I played a lot of the Professor Layton games. Those are really, really good. Yeah. Those are like a real fun puzzle game. Yeah, I've only played the first one. But uh yeah, there's uh they got some they got some talent behind them, so but yeah, Nino Cooney. Uh we both have it on our backlog. It's been on my backlog since it came out. 
so we're finally getting into it as our first JRPG of the year. Uh, man, so I knew a little bit about going into it what I was expecting. Um, yeah, you, you said you had played about three hours. I think I had only played about an hour to an hour and a half. Yeah, I had played to the part where uh, you, I was. Ex- we were exploring Ding Dong Dell. Yeah. So about three, maybe four hours in. Um, not you know, not overly far. But uh, let's uh, talk about the story a little bit because this is most certainly a story-driven game. Uh, you play as a uh, young boy named Oliver uh, who lives in a town called Motorville. I'm I'm guessing it's supposed to be somewhere in England. They all speak with English accents. Like a small village in England, maybe? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I just assumed it was the U.S., but I guess it could have been England. Well, I mean, everybody. It seems like everybody speaks with an English accent. Maybe that's just the choice of of voice actor yeah. they went with. Um, Must be England. And I'm I'm not certain, but it seems like this takes place probably in the 40s, the 1940s, or the 1950s. At least the aesthetic kind of looks like that. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, it's interesting. I I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking more, certainly not, they're not very tech savvy. Um, and the cars really, I guess, would point to the 40s or 50s, yeah. mostly. That's what I was thinking. But, um, yeah, it's uh, you play as a, a young boy. I don't know how old he is. Um, 13, I believe. 13. Uh, he... Uh, Lives with his mother. Um, I don't know what happened to his dad. Um, at least we don't. At least they, they never mention it. Uh, his mom is a violin, a, a pianist. Is she a pianist or? I can't. Mm. She plays some type of musical instrument. Yeah, she's definitely a musician. Um, but yeah, he's kind of like your standard young thirteen-year-old boy. Um. He has a friend who, um, I say friend, but he always constantly calls him names and badgers him. <laughs> and I was just like, I've got a like that. <laughs> I was like, this kid's, this kid's a douche. But, um, he uh, has been developing a, uh, or creating a car, uh, I guess a semi kind of like race car looking thing. And, uh, it's finally finished. And he wants Oliver to come out later on that night to um, to test drive it. And he's given him the opportunity to uh, to drive it first. Um, so uh, running around the beginning part, wait until it's night. Uh, uh, Oliver doesn't necessarily lie to his mom, but sneaks out of the house. Um, meets up with his buddy and uh, they decide to go for a test drive. Um, a bit of an issue. Um, the wheel falls off while uh, Oliver is going down the road and he accidentally uh, 
steers off in all over a cliff and into the, I guess, river or lake. Can't tell. Uh, some kind of body of water. And he is essentially drowning. Um, Oliver, uh, I, I don't know how to explain this. So we see, much like in Rogue Galaxy, uh, the storytelling is shown not just from Oliver's perspective. It's shown through basically an outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see things like the villains, what they're doing and what they're plotting as well. And the uh, the White Witch, a very mysterious woman, um, decides that, uh, or she she finds out through her crystal ball that the savior of the realm is Oliver. So she decides to take him out and puts a curse on him, or 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 some kind of spell on him that's supposed to kill him, and. The result of that spell is him crashing and then going into the, into the lake. Um, what she doesn't count on is Oliver's mother waking up in the middle of the night, realizing that something is wrong, can't find Oliver. And so she runs out of the house and then sees that Oliver is essentially drowning in the lake. So she goes in after him and she saves Oliver. Um, but something bad happens to his mom. She collapses, everybody's surrounding her, and, uh, she falls ill, I guess? Yeah. I don't know if she got sick or if she had some kind of heart issue, um, but it cuts to maybe a couple of days later at the most, and she's on her deathbed, and she passes away in front of Oliver. Yeah, they say she dies from heart problems. Yeah. And uh, it's a very sad moment. Oliver is devastated. And he now realizes he's kind of all alone in this world. Uh, he doesn't want to come out of his room. And um, I guess it's a couple of days later after that, he doesn't leave his room. Uh, the woman who runs the local market uh, comes by to check on him and stuff like that. She leaves him food. Uh, but Oliver's sitting there crying. Uh, and he has uh, this doll that is uh, something that his mother gave him as kind of like a, a protector. You know, what you give kids. And um, the tears fall onto this doll and it makes the doll come to life. Sounds like it could easily be the start of a horror movie. True. Um, but the doll comes to life and uh, reveals to Oliver in a very crass way to stop crying because I'm here to help you save the world. And that uh, doll is now a fairy named Mr. Drippy. <laughs> it's so it's kind of ridiculous sitting here talking about that. Yeah, it's very it's very whimsical. Like it's yeah. clearly not a 
you can tell right from the beginning it's not the kind of game where they're going to go into like the magic systems and explain how he came to life really it's more it's broad strokes it's it's more like a fairy tale almost this is basically peter pan it makes me think of peter pan on multiple occasions but with wizards um I will say the art style is beautiful. The game is gorgeous, even on PS3. Everything yep. is hand drawn. Everything uh, it just looks it, it, it pops like the the colors. It's a very colorful game. Everything's just uh, bright, vibrant, and it comes off, and including the story, comes off as if it's a children's game, or possibly if this was a movie, a children's movie. Yeah. But I can't see a kid playing this game. At all. Yeah, at least not past the first hour or two. Like the beginning's pretty easy. They just they tell you exactly where to go, so you go there. Uh you know, the combat's not difficult. It's not very complicated. But uh yeah, I can see it's already starting to get more complex even just to where we are in the game. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, um, a little bit later on once we go into the other world. So, um, Mr. Drippy, uh, tells Oliver that he is the, the, the pure hearted one, as he, uh, as he calls him, and everybody calls him that. And the pure hearted one is the one that's going to save Mr. Drippy's world. So there's two parallel worlds. There's the reality world, which is Motorville and where Oliver lives. And then there's this fantasy world um, that's full of magic and monsters and all different kinds of things. That And people, people seem to be, it's like medieval times, you know? Um, yeah. There's not, there's not much technology. With kings and castles and countryside. Yeah. Um, And Mr. Drippy says, we have to go over to my world so we can save it. Uh, Basically, you know, you're a wizard, Harry. Um, He has to (laughs) go go across the, the, the dimensions and go into their world and save them. What is, um, what is really uh, hurting this other world, why does it need to be saved? Also, uh, Oliver just wants to save his mom. He wants to bring his mom back to life. Mr. Drippy says that he can because he knows that his mother is in their world is, uh, one of the great sages. And, uh, if we can find the great sage in his world, he can possibly bring his mom back to life in the Motorville world. Yeah, because every single person has a counterpo- counterpart, a soulmate yeah. in the fancy world. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal. But we need to talk about the villain. And while the, the game is called Wrath of the White Witch, she doesn't seem to be the villain that Mr. Drippy is talking about. The villain is a Jin, dark, dark Jin, the dark based on the, based on the title of the DS game. Yeah, 
uh, and he, we we get a glimpse of him, um, uh, in a later cutscene, but um, he, what's his name? It starts with the S. Shadar. 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 The 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 dark Jin. Um, he has basically taken over the world by a removing all magic except for his. Uh, from uh, from the citizens of the world, and B stealing their hearts or stealing pieces of their hearts, um, stealing someone's heart or part of their heart, basically turns them into a brain dead zombie with no enthusiasm or uh, get up and go as Mister Drippy calls it. Yeah, no kindness or no courage. Some some piece of their heart. Yeah, and they basically just you know mindless people who will do anything he says. Uh, and Mr. Drippy has been looking for a person with magical abilities to hopefully come into his world and then help fight Shadar. Um, so uh, cut to Oliver not understanding any of this. Uh, but follows Mr. Drippy anyway. Nobody can see Mr. Drippy in his world except for him. Uh, and uh, he gets the Wizard's Companion, which I didn't know this. I looked it up. Apparently, the Wizard's Companion is a real book that you could get if you got the special edition of the game. Oh, really? It actually came with a book, like a big book. And uh, you could actually refer to it instead of in the game. Now, there is a virtual copy of the book in the game that you can read as well. Good. It's hard to lose that one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we uh, we get the Wizard's Companion, which teaches us a few spells, but we can't cast spells properly without a magic wand. So we're on the hunt for a magic wand first. Uh, Mr. Drippy says it doesn't have to be anything spectacular. It can just be a stick of some kind. So we're on the look for a stick. And uh, along the way, um, Oliver runs into a green-haired girl. A uh, very mysterious girl. Um, oh, it seems like Drippy can't see. Yeah, Drippy can't see her either. She's basically talking to just Oliver. And... She, um, uh, right before he got on the, in the car, um, she showed up to give him a warning of not going. Don't go. It's dangerous. And then, uh, later on, whenever we're looking for the stick, she appears again and says, Hey, I'm sorry about your mom. That, you know, she's almost like she's blaming herself for it. Uh, but she disappears. And lo and behold, there is a magic wand laying there where she was. She leaves that for us, basically. But this isn't just a regular stick. Mr. Drippy looks at it, and it's got runes etched inside of it that has magical power. And he says that's enough to get us to the other world. So with a few spells out of the uh, the wizard's companion... Uh, Oliver then creates a gateway uh, to the other world. This big, grandiose gateway that they walk through. And they're off on 
a journey and an adventure. It's very whimsical, and I like yeah, it. Very whimsical. I, I like it, but at the same time, it's kind of. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Like, how do you feel hmm. about it? I basically this this was really the part that I played. So I played this whole beginning before, and I made it over to the other world, and I played maybe another I don't know half hour. So I, I kind of knew what to expect, and it, it it basically was exactly as I remembered the beginning being. So you know, it's super colorful. It's I was still a little nervous that Drippy was going to become annoying, like Maru Maru. Oh, God. Thankfully, he while he, he does talk a bit more than is necessary, he's not aggravating yet. He has a lot more personality than Maru Maru. Yeah, less just annoying and more... You know, it's interesting trying to see... It. How much? Because he just he talks a lot. He kind of rambles a little bit, but you know some of it is is meant to push Oliver along. Some of it's just you know explaining to us the player kind of a bit about the world. Some of it is just uh, you know his unique phrases, you know very British phrases. I think he's supposed to be Scottish. Scottish, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um. But but all of that, you know, he's not as annoying as I thought. And and as far as the whole the whimsy of it, I I just eat it up. I I love it. Yeah, I mean it's it's nice, and it was. I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just too um, overburdened with dark nowadays. Which I mean, yeah, I mean. It, to me, I mean, everything about it, like, I expect the good guys to be really good and the bad guys to be really bad. I expect it to be a, a little bit black and white in that sense. Yeah. You know, because it's not, it's not meant to, it's not meant to be that kind of a gray, that kind of a, it's not meant to make you contemplate, you know, the nature of goodness and evil. You know, it's, it's not, it's not that kind of story. It's more, you know, it's, it's a boy against the world. So for me, it's been set up perfectly you know he's trying to save his mother who just died you know what what more reason do you need to hop into another world and start fighting it's good enough good enough reason for me you know and mr drippy is trying to save his entire world from an evil sorcerer jinn perfect you know what more do you need so from the basic premise i, I got everything i needed out of it right so uh as he is going through to the other world we get a cutscene of the villains um, it's not just the white witch and her little minion thing. Is it a, is it a, it's a type of bird, right? Uh, an owl or something? assume so, yeah. Yeah. I, I hope it's not going to turn out to be another one of those, uh, Kilroy situations where the birds actually run the show. Oh. <laughs> like in Blue Dragon. Yeah. Oh, God. I did keep thinking of Blue Dragon. I think mainly just because they're so colorful. Like yeah. The two games are so colorful. Yeah. So uh, the cutscene is uh, the White Witch is there with a council of evildoers or villains. I don't know. And uh, they're talking about where to go from here now that he's crossed over into their world. And uh, they say we're going to enlist the help of the Dark Jinn, Shadar. 
and he comes in and he is uh, a bit arrogant and the council kind of hates that. They're like, how dare you speak to us like that? Uh, so I don't know who's running the show here. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, call, calling the game Wrath of the White Witch makes makes you think she's the end boss. Yeah. But the fact that the DS version was called Domain of the Dark Jinn means he's just as likely to be. You know, and maybe maybe they're both just setups for whoever this mysterious circle is in the background. It's very true. It could be somebody else. Yeah. This may be a cowboy situation. Else. But we'll see. But uh, yeah, they they enlist his help, and he says, "Okay, if I do this, if I stop this Oliver kid, uh, I do it my way." And they're like, "Okay." The road. Yeah. So they're gonna let him do whatever he needs to. Uh, but crossing over to uh, the the new world. Um, yep. But but again, it just I think in fitting with everything else that I get out of this beginning. It makes perfect sense to me that they clearly outline here's all the bad guys. Yeah, you know, it, it, there's not going to be there's not meant to be ambiguity there. You know, you know Oliver and Mister Drippy are good. You know, these circle, the Dark Jin and the White Witch are bad. You know, that that's it. That's you have your premise. Now it's time for an adventure. Yeah, I don't I don't expect much more complexity other than recruiting team members. You know, now capturing all these min- minions and, uh, you know, going to town. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Drippy, uh, says we need to go to Ding Dong Dell to talk to the king. We gotta find ourselves a proper wand. So, um, we go to Ding Dong Dell, which is kind of like a castle town. And, uh, the guards won't let us in. The, they, um, uh, one of them is uh, really energetic, but uh, his boss, who's standing next to him, just doesn't fill up to it. Brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted. Mr. Drippy says, that guy's brokenhearted. We need to fix his heart. And this is where we learn uh, a spell of taking, and or we don't learn it here. We learn it in the uh, in the woods. Uh, Which is just, an odd spell to give me, because I feel like <laughs> you could easily, if, if they didn't know I was pure-hearted... I now have the ability to take other people's bits of their hearts out. Yeah. If you read the the Wizard's Companion, they actually like go into detail about that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Is like check out on the glossary of the of the Wizard's Companion and stuff because they they go into the whole. You can take a piece of somebody's heart, but it's all about balance and stuff like that. Like, uh, Mr. Drippy talks about it a little bit, but he doesn't go into deep detail like the Wizard Companion does. That thing is actually pretty detailed. Hmm. I wonder I if I can find a, uh, a physical version. You probably can, or I'm sure that somebody has scanned it and put it online in a PDF form. But, um, but yeah, so we need to, uh, we can't go inside Ding Dong Do just yet, so we have to come back. Hey, sorry, right, let's go talk to the old oak. What is his name? The great old oak or something like that? Father Oak, I think. Father Oak. But, uh, he's in the, the woods that's right outside of Ding Dong Do. 
So we travel there. Um, along this way, we're, we're first starting to get introduced to battles and stuff like that. So the battle mechanic in this game is very unconventional. So this is not a turn-based role-playing game. This is a real-time role-playing game where... An arena. Yeah, you're like in an arena area every time you get into a battle. You can move your character around, but you also select um, uh, what abilities or attacks they want to do. Um, The first part that we need to talk about is you can control Oliver as he moves around the battlefield. Uh, he can use items. He can use, uh, use spells that can possibly attack or heal. Um, but there's another aspect to it and, uh, one that you have to use a lot, which is the familiar, um, part. Uh, every wizard has the ability to use familiars, uh, which are basically these creatures that live inside of your heart and uh, Oliver can project those familiars out of him and they can fight for him. Uh, think of it as like a magical version of Pokemon. Yeah. I was going to say a magical tapeworm lives inside your heart. (laughs) So, uh, but it's not killing us, but, uh, so, um, uh, we start off with a single, familiar which is a kind of like a projection of himself which is mighty is his name mighty his little heroic self yeah this is like this little little orange dude with a cape and a shield and a sword and he's kind of like our attacker um while in battle we can switch to mighty uh send him out and he can attack and he has different attacks like he's a certain type of uh, uh familiar that can defend Uh, So you can choose to defend. And everything that you choose to do in battle takes up uh, an amount of time. So when you attack, you have a timer that counts down. And while that timer is counting down, he is attacking. And it's not constant attacks. It's just slash, he'll back up, slash. He has like like an animation. Yeah, and based on his speed. like So let's say he attacks for four seconds. Some other character might attack for four seconds and get more or less attacks in in that time. Yeah, and there's different types of characters, which we'll see later on. And there is also an affinity uh, part to this as well. So like, there's certain characters that are star affinity or moon or sun. And it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, where um, I can't remember what the, what the order is, but I think star beats moon, moon beats sun, sun beats star. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I, it's it's in there somewhere, but um, matching those up means you kind of like hit their weakness. Um, and then there's certain monsters that have weakness to fire. So if you throw a fireball at them, it does more damage or water or stuff like that. Um, how do you feel about the combat system, Matt? Uh, I feel like I'm still getting the hang of it. Yeah. Uh, right now I have relatively simple strategies that I use, but I, I really like the, the sort of complexity of it. I love the fact that 
I love the fact that sometimes I can have a character like you, you mentioned. Some characters can defend. Well, sort of the second one you get can't defend. And I love that you, on the fly you can switch. You can basically pull them back into your heart and start controlling Oliver again. Uh-huh. And because Oliver's usually sitting on sort of the the perimeter of this battle arena. I love how there's other ways to do things, like the character who can't defend. All right, so if if I've got a monster in front of me who's going to release this big swing of a club or something, I can pull him back into my heart, start taking over as Oliver, and that's a different way to get out of that swing radius of the monster, as opposed to Mighty, who could just stay in there and defend. Uh, and, I, and I love the fact that there's a time limit on the familiars, Yeah, like an overall time limit. Which kind of forces you to switch. I mean, any big battle, you're going to go through far more than one time limit. Most of the small ones you don't. You can just kind of cruise through one or two enemies, usually in the duration of one familiar. But any, any bigger fights require more strategy. And, and to me right there, that's a, that's a key for a good battle system. Yeah, the, the simple fights can be boring. They're allowed to be boring because they only take, you know, 18 seconds or whatever each. But if I'm going to spend most of my time in these simple fights, you know, just mashing X to hit the enemy four or five times and then finish it and get my small amount of XP as a reward, that's fine. It's not terribly rewarding on its own, but that's not really the goal of, you know, every incidental fight you make. But I I don't want that to be the same strategy where I'm just mashing a button when I get to a boss. Like, for me, a boss should be something that requires a bit more strategy and for me, this game nails it. I mean, the boss fights play out totally different, absolutely different than any of the normal fights. And they're, they're so much more complex. And you have to manage yourself and your health and your your mana and your familiars and rotate between them. And it, I just, it's, again, I'm not super proficient at it. So I, I feel like I am still maybe using simpler strategies than I could be. But I, I love that I, even where I am, I'm doing a lot more than I am in the normal fights. And I, I like the fact that once you get to know the speed and the range of your familiars, you can run around the enemies because it's an open arena and you can be picking up, picking up health and mana orbs as they get knocked out of the enemies and staying out of their reach and then running in for a few slashes, making it not really feel like an RPG fight. But overall, there's a lot of management to do. And which does make it feel like an RPG fight. So I, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things I like about this game, but the battle system might be my favorite thing about it. Wow. Uh, I'm the exact opposite. I do not like the battle system at all. And I feel like for reasons that you mentioned, but the opposite reasons. Everything you said, but the opposite. Well, here's the thing: is that I'm. This game should have been turn based because there is a lot of strategy involved, and you have to be quick on the fly when it comes to that stuff. The issue is, is that they're also wanting me to run around and dodge stuff at the same time, and I feel like I'm constantly on the ropes. Uh, it, it like. When I'm, when I'm at a boss fight or even a perfect example, which it got on my damn nerves was 
when we were leaving to when we were traveling through the desert to get to the to that town in the desert. Yep. I was running into enemies that just murdered me. And I'm like, I don't have time to react for this stuff. I don't have time to attack because I'm constantly switching back to to Oliver to heal. Yeah. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? And then I like I searched online just saying combat tips for Nino Kuni. And there's so many forums of people saying, I don't like this combat. And I'm just like, well, I mean, because it, while they give you control of your characters, you don't have full control of your characters. They do, I wouldn't say they do what they want, but they do things in a certain way that I feel like I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the control of what's going to happen. So if I'm running around trying not to get hit and I was like, well, I need to get a hit in, I hit attack that then I now have to wait for my character to run up to the enemy and then do a swing animation to which they're still getting bombarded with hits as well. And I just, I feel like it's almost too complex for what they want you to do. And the problem is, is they're they're going to continue to add stuff to the combat. I can tell. This is a, yeah, this is I, a long burn. Yeah, I'm, I'm. With everything I said, I do really like the combat, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the next recording or the one after that, I it does get to be a bit too complicated, yeah. or the boss fights just get too hard, too unmanageable. Yeah. But you know where we are now. I really like that. There's that that give and take. You know, when am I gonna send Mighty in to do some hits? Am I gonna send him in because he can block, or am I gonna send my Lemur in because he can attack a little bit quicker? Yeah. You know, when is this a, is this an enemy where I can take Oliver and run around the outside and heal, or maybe I should, as I'm Oliver, send in some fireballs. Uh, you know, I, I I like I love the variety of it, and I even like projecting into the future. Now that we have the ability to capture more and more familiars, you know, if you don't like the way this familiar is playing, if you if you don't if you think he's taking too long to swing and you don't feel like you have enough control, you can just use another familiar. Yeah. And I think that's really cool too. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of variety in there. I just feel like there's there's some things that just I, I feel like are aren't implemented correctly or, or or I wouldn't say correctly, not the way I prefer them. I'm sure there's people out there who could tell me exactly how to win at this game and I'm, I may be playing the game wrong, but I just, I, I'm, I feel like, and that's the perfect example because you're in an arena. It, it feels like I'm constantly against the ropes. Like I'm, like I'm a boxer who's getting the shit beat out of him and I have, I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. So, you know, one, one more thing on this point is sometimes when I know that I'm on the ropes, I love the fact that you can see where Oliver is when you're controlling the, the familiar. And so I, I've had some times where I'm trying to get some hits in and I'm like, all right, I'm about to switch back to Oliver. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run to the opposite side of the arena to pull the monster to that side of the arena. And then just as he's about to hit me, I'm going to pull my familiar back. Now I've got the entire diameter of the arena between me and the boss. I've got time to heal maybe two or three times. And then, you know, then send a fireball and then send back my minion and I'm ready to go again. That's true. You know, there's just so many little things that aren't really a strict part of the strategy, but that's just a thing that you can do to buy yourself some more time. And 
And I've, I, I don't know. I have, so far, I've just really liked the, the flexibility of it. I have still yet to be able to time my attacks to where I get a nice on purpose. So oh, yeah. I haven't the, even tried that. There's the, So Drippy mentions that if you so it's basically uh you you're scrolling through a menu which i can't stand the fact that i'm i have to use the d-pad for scrolling through menus um, yeah some of that's definitely a little awkward yeah just because i like i'm trying to move and then scroll through the menu at the same time um it, there's uh, parts where if you hit attack when the bubble that says attack flashes blue you kind of do a counter hit so it's right whenever an enemy is about to hit you, you hit them. And I have yet to time that correctly. I'll get nices constantly. So nice, it pops up saying nice. And then uh, most times a, a health orb or a uh, mana orb will pop out of the enemy and you can run pick it up. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of intricacies to the combat and I have not learned any of them. So we'll see. I don't know, but... Uh, Continuing on with the story, we go to the uh, the woods, and uh, we meet up with uh, the um, the great oak, great grandfather oak, or whatever. And uh, he wants us to uh, do something for him, while uh, at the same time, uh, he will help us uh, learn some magic. So he wants us to. Uh, figure out what the hell is wrong with the guardian of the woods. Something's something's up with him. He's not happy and he's uh, it's acting crazy. Yeah, he's on a rampage. So we go to uh deeper into the woods and uh find the guardian, which is our first boss fight. And so far we've been fighting monsters that were kind of the same size as Mighty, which is like kid size. This guardian is like the size of a building. <laughs> and it just looks weird when you got Mighty swinging a little bitty <laughs> knife at this guy. <laughs> yeah. But this is where we get into more strategy with the combat, which is uh, certain enemies will cast basically a spell or uh, power up a, an attack. And using Mighty or even Oliver, you can defend and almost nullify a lot of the damage that's about to come out of it. At the same time, we also get introduced to the mechanic of like the ultimate ability, which uh, is another orb. It's a yellow orb that you can pick up, and it basically supercharges uh, Oliver to where he can use like a, a big spell that does a lot of damage to a guy. Uh, they show up in uh, regular combat as well, but it's kind of rare. Yeah, basically most of them I've seen but missed. Like I've run over to them, and then they've kind of floated up into the air. Like floated away before I've gotten to them. Uh, I've used a couple. I've used two or three, but I feel like I've lost maybe five or six. Yeah, I feel the same way. But uh, after beating the uh, the guardian of the woods, he walks off defeated. And uh, I don't know what we did. He said that the Shadar has has affected his heart. And I guess after we beat some sense into him, he changed his mind. <laughs> so we go back to the Grandfather Oak. And uh, he gives us a page out of the Wizard's Companion, which allows us to take and give hearts. 
which we can now use to go um, into Ding Dong Dell. So after that, we return back to Ding Dong Dell. Through the map, which I got to say, I, I also adore that the, sort of the overworld map. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I can't tell if it's more useful than other maps or if it's just because it looks better. But I'm just like, wow, I just like walking around on this map. It's nice. Um, it's really, really well done. Um, I guess I like that you can rotate it. I guess that's a functional thing that's useful. Yeah, it allows you to do that. Uh, and the map, like the mini map, which you can then hit R1, I think, to bring up the full map, that's very useful too. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of they're almost art. always, through at least the first couple hours, they're almost always pointing you exactly in the direction of your objective. Yeah. So, I mean, just one thing, like off the bat, usually with an RPG like this and overworlds and, you know, multiple objectives, I hate getting lost. Like, I, the toughest time, you know, as we're talking about JRPGs, I've, I've gone back and tried to play the first Final Fantasy. That game is impossible if you put it down for more than like a day because there's absolutely no way to figure out where you're supposed to go. And so between that and random battles, like those are two of my least favorite JRPG things, and this game doesn't have either of them. So, you know, just from that perspective, for me, it started off on a really good foot. Yeah. It does have those nice quality of life things for modern games. Um, they didn't go full on hardcore JRPG. <laughs> But uh, we uh, return to Ding Dong Dell at the entrance, um, and uh, we take uh, some of the heart, the enthusiasm of uh, the really energetic guard, and we fill the guard who has broken hearted with some enthusiasm, and he's like, all right, you guys can come on in. I feel great now. So we enter into um, Ding Dong Dell. And this first few parts is kind of like fetch quest stuff to make you feel for the world a little bit. So the first thing is we're starting to get looks from people because we're dressed funny. So Mr. Drippy says we need to go get some clothes that are from this world because everybody's looking at you like you're a weirdo. And I'm like, okay. And of course, Oliver thinks everyone else looks like a weirdo. Yeah, because they're all dressed in fantasy get up. Uh, so we go to the clothing store, or the, or the general store, and the woman says she's got, uh, clothes, uh, from a traveler that left them. Uh, but she's gonna have to, uh, make them all of her size. So she's gonna have to tailor them a little bit. Said to come back the next day. So we go to the hotel, we spend the night there, come back the next day, get her clothes, got a nice, uh, a nice little cape. And um, we go to see the king. Uh, the king is a giant cat. A giant talking cat. Yeah, King Tom. Yep. Tom the Tom Cat. And uh, when we get there, he is not feeling up to anything. He is lazy and doesn't care about anything. He's also broken hearted. So we now have to go find some more enthusiasm. To put into the cat. Seems that seems like everybody who's got a problem is brokenhearted. Yes, that's going to be the main theme and the main 
quest in this game is going to be going and getting... And it's a lot like Rogue Galaxy in that sense. If you remember Rogue Galaxy, we constantly had to go somewhere, get something, bring it back, and then solve a problem that way. And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to solve our problems by getting different types of hearts and putting them to other people. And uh, so we just go around town to find some enthusiasm. And uh, we find some uh, with a little kid who is trying to uh, guard the sewers from our rats. He's all pumped about killing some rats, I guess. So uh, we get some heart from him, go back to the king, and give the king the heart. And we're like, okay, so you're going to give us that wand now? Because he's got a wand. And he says, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll go find it for you. So he goes to his somewhere in the castle to find it. And uh, we'll come back later. So we, uh, I don't know exactly what triggers us to go outside and then come back in. Yeah, I don't know exactly either. We, it was before this that we stayed at the inn, right? Yes. We stay at the inn no, to wait like for the close to get finished. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I went around and did a few of the side quest stuff. Um, like went and got some flowers for a woman. And found uh, somebody's earring. That's another mechanic that you can do side quests, which then fill up these uh, point cards that we can then trade in for special things. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of layers of <laughs> random stuff. Yes, there is. Um, uh, but when we return back to the castle, uh, the king is gone. The Cat King is, is nowhere to be found. We don't know where he is. So we uh, we decide to uh, go look for him. Uh, the thing is, is that we don't know exactly where he is. So Mr. Drippy comes up with the big idea of, hey, let's cross back over to your world and find the soulmate for him in your world so we can figure out where, <laughs> where he may be. Yeah, because it's not just... That the characters have counterparts, but apparently there, there's an influence also. Yes. So, like, what your character does or is good at or, I don't know, I guess, does it extend to, like, eating and, you know, <laughs> if you get drunk, does your counterpart feel drunk? I don't know. But there, there's certainly a link between the, the soulmates. It influences them in certain ways. So, and I'll explain it. So, if we go back to the uh motorville we know who the the soulmate of the king is and that is the general store manager's cat which we saw a few times in the uh beginning parts and we got to go find him so when we finally find him what has he been doing he's been chasing after rats so we now have a clue He's influenced by rats. So we go back to the fantasy world, and where do we remember rats being? Down in the sewer. Yeah, and I, I like how a lot of these things feel slightly less random than in a lot of games. You know, like that cat was there in the beginning, now it's a, you know, it's kind of a plot point. 
you know, the cat looking for mice over by the by the mechanic area, and that's like one of the next plot points. Yeah. So it feels a bit more threaded into like the world than all right now now you're gonna find something new, and then all right now you're gonna find something new. I I kind of like the way that things are tied together a little bit. Yeah, they it it feels it reminds me a bit of the Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy knew everybody in her world and when she transferred over to Oz everybody that she knew from her world were these different characters yeah that's actually a really good comparison and you were there and you were there you know kind of thing yeah so um we uh switch back over to the fantasy world we go down into the sewers um along the way we run back into that kid who's been trying to hunt rats he has a companion that he gives to us, which is now our next, um, our next, uh, familiar, which is the lemur. Uh, this one is an attacker kind of thing. It's all about hitting guys a lot, many times. It can evade, but man, I can't time that worth a shit. Yeah. So, um, and they all start at level one. <laughs> And they they go back to level one. They go back to level one. Yeah, when you evolve them. Oh, wonderful! Have you I, not done that yet with, I, with Mighty? I, I have not made it there yet. Oh, so you know, a lot of this game is about evolving your familiars. Yeah. Every time you evolve them, they become form two, but all the way back to level one. Oh, good. So you need to have like your stable of familiars some of which you're attacking with, some of which you're just leveling until they're ready to take over for the other ones. So do they level or do they evolve at like a certain level? They're capable of evolving at a certain level. Then you need to feed them. It's like a sun drop, a moon drop, a planet drop, or some other kind of drop based on their alignment. Okay. And then that will cause them to evolve into a stronger form, but again, a weaker version of the stronger form. All right. Okay. So I, I've only I've only evolved Mighty and um, the, the main familiar of our second character. Okay, gotcha. So um, we go down into the uh, into the sewers, um, and um, we. This is a big dungeon, and I've come to the realization I don't like how these dungeons are set up. Because so far, all the dungeons I've been in, there's been a save point at the beginning of the dungeon and right before the boss. Yeah, that's how the forest was set up. Yeah. And that's really annoying because if you die in combat, you have the option of restarting from that battle. But you lose 10% of your money. But you gain all that experience. I would always do that. Yeah, but man. Right? Who cares on some coins? Well, you know, let's say if you've been playing for more than 10 minutes and you've done, you know, a few battles, 5, 10 battles, for me it's always going to be worth it to keep that experience so that you're less likely to die going forward. But you can use that money to buy better equipment. Yeah, I guess maybe I just never have enough money because I, I seem like I've always only got two to 500 guilders. So, you know, 20 to 50, I'd rather take the, I'd rather not replay 10 more battles to get that XP. I'd pay the 20 to 50 gold to not replay those battles. Oh. Uh, uh, 
different strokes. I, I, I made it to the desert town and had a good, probably 1500 coins. So I was able to pretty much fully equip all my characters. Oh, nice. So, um, but yeah, um, make it through the, the sewer, a couple of little puzzle elements here and there, lighting different torches and stuff like that. But, uh, when we finally make it to the boss fight, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the cat king is uh fighting with a uh i guess a king rat yep and uh the king rat eh, we have to fight him uh i i mean it's not like i find these hard it's just i feel like i'm doing <laughs> i feel like i'm doing something wrong half the time like I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Think I'm trying I, to think. I think I only had trouble with one of the boss battles. I think it was the next one, though. I don't think this one I had much trouble with. So after beating the uh, the Rat King, he runs off. Uh, the uh, Cat King thanks us for his our service and gives us our brand spanking new wand, magic wand, uh, which actually ups uh, Oliver's attack significantly yeah it does that and it means you can you can open some of the treasure chests we've been finding around yeah you uh you learn the the pick lock i don't think it's called pick lock it's a spring lock spring lock yeah yeah uh spell as well as uh frostbite i still don't know how you open the other treasure chests i think you get a more powerful version of spring lock later on uh the Cat King also tells us that if we are, if we're really gonna beat Shadar, we, we need to go talk to the four sages. One of which we are still trying to find, but he tells us that there is another sage living out in the desert oasis town of Al Mamun. Is that how you pronounce Mamun. it? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so that should be the next place that we should go. Now, before we leave Ding Dong Dell, I want to ask you a question, Matt. Mm-hmm. Did you explore this town a good amount? No, I'm actually planning to go back there because I explored the next town as thoroughly as I could. Okay. But the Ding Dong Dell, I, I didn't do much other than get the things that we needed to get, upgrade my weapons and stuff, and then I headed out. So you did not meet a, a character that I'm about to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. So if you go into Ding Dong Dell, there is kind of like a little sanctuary to the to the right of the... Uh, I mean, it's in town, but it's to the right of, of the town square kind of thing. And it is a soldier's uh, uh, grave. Behind the gravestone... If you go around it, there is a little ghost boy standing there. And if you talk to him, he gives you a spell that allows you to talk to dead people. Oh, wow. No, I didn't do that at all. Yeah. I randomly ran into this kid. And the kid tells us that, uh, meet me in the next town and I'll give you something there too. So apparently we run into this kid at every town and he gives us a different spell. 
Uh, see, I didn't, yeah, like I said, I just kind of pushed through so that I could get out into the world. Um, but when I get to the next town, I did a lot of exploring. I did everything. So I've got missing like quests where I need to find, you know, pieces of hearts and whatnot. So I, I don't know where to go for those. So I was going to head back to Ding Dong Dell and see if I could find any, um, suitable people to steal pieces of their hearts from. Gotcha. It's not stealing, yeah. it's borrowing. <laughs> borrowing. <laughs> but I'm never going to give it back. Yeah. It's just you've got too much, so I want it. Yeah. So um, uh, we have to go to the desert. Uh, to get to the desert, we have to go through another forest called the Golden Grove. Uh, yet another fairly large dungeon. Uh, but there's a few significant things that happen here. Uh, the first one being, we realize this is supposed to be, there's a bunch of fairies in this, uh, this forest. Unfortunately, there's none of them here. And Mr. Drippy's like, what the hell's going on? So, um, going further in, we notice that, uh, some of the, the forest seems like it's dried up. Uh, nothing's blooming as it should be. And, um, we run into a egg of sorts, cocoon. And it is uh, a familiar is inside there growing, but we it seems like the uh, the tree that it's holding it has withered up. So we ha- use a new spell that we learned called rejuvenate, which brings stuff back to its former glory. And a little fairy guy pops out of it, a little a little green fairy guy with a big smiley face. Yeah, speed spray, and. Um, uh, Oliver originally is like, I don't want to bring it along because it's just born and we don't want to have it fighting, you know, as a little baby. But, uh, just a little bit later on, we get into some trouble and, uh, uh, the little fairy guy comes to the rescue and helps us. And he's like, Hey, let me help you. So he wants to join our party. So we get our third, uh, familiar, fill up all our slots for our familiars. And man, starting at level one with this little guy, because he can't take many hits, not fun. Yep, I immediately said, weak, I'm not using him. I don't (laughs) care, I don't like him. Yeah. So, um, uh, I've, I have leveled him up a little bit, but not much. So when we get to the end of this golden grove, we, uh, realize that the, uh, the water source has dried up. Obviously, this is more work of Shadar. So <laughs> everything that goes wrong is his fault. Yeah, everything. <laughs> the water stopped running. It must be him. Well, that's that. I mean, who knows what kind of magic powers this guy has? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we also run into the Guardian of the Woods here, uh, who is very upset. <laughs> so we have to fight him. Um, and you said you had trouble with this boss? This is the one I think I had some trouble with. I, I, to be honest with you, I I didn't have much trouble with him because I did get one of those super spells orbs to drop, Mm -hmm. and I used it, and it did a a good amount of damage to him. Yeah. So, uh, after beating him, he runs off, 
and we use rejuvenate on the uh the water source the lake or the river or whatever it is and uh we bring the gold the golden grove back to life uh after we pass through the golden grove we're on the other side of the country i guess i don't know how you would say it uh and we're off to the desert there is a very important thing that mr drippy says here we shouldn't mess around too much out here because there's some strong enemies we just need to get to the town as fast as we can he ain't freaking lying yeah oh my god so i i was i told laura about this game and said you may like it because of how colorful and 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 uh, whimsical it is i knew she wasn't gonna like the battle system or, or watching me play battles and stuff like that because it's kind of boring mm-hmm. but um she was watching me do this and she watched me fail to get to the town at least six or seven times Oh wow! Oh, I died countless times here. I'm, I think I died once here. Trying to get to the freaking town, you run into so many freaking enemies, and it, you can't run away from them. Like if they see you, they're gonna catch you, and then they get you if they hit you in the back. Oh, look, they get first attack. Yeah. So are you are you refilling your life up to full in between every fight? Yeah. I ran into those enemies that they look like a big acorn. Yeah. And they come up to you and just swing their arms nonstop and just wreck you. I don't know. But I was, I like, I had to turn it off that day. I was like, I'm done. I don't want to play this anymore right now. Yeah, maybe I just grinded a bit more. Maybe. I, I mean, this part was a, a little harder. And I got close to dying a lot, but I, I think I only actually died once. Yeah. And that's when I was like, man, I really don't like this combat. Hmm. So. But yeah, I, don't I, remember what le- I don't remember what level I was at this point either. Or else, I wonder if that would be part of it. Probably, I was probably about 11 or 12. Going through here. Hmm. I don't know. But I finally made it to the Oasis Town. Of Al Mamun, and uh, we're gonna go find the the great sage. Um, what, what was his name? It's uh, Rashad. I think is his name. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, so uh, Mister Drippy's talking about going and getting a, a not a, not a banana split, but a Babana, Babana, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Babana split, and uh, we go talk to this random guy and say, "Hey, we're look for, looking for the the great sage Rashad." And he's like, "Well, he hasn't been a great sage in a long time. Now he sells babanas." So when we go talk to him, he's like, "I don't practice magic anymore. I'm done." It's not not a name I've heard in many years. Yeah, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, you you you're doing a fool's errand." Just, just stop while you're you're ahead. And uh, Oliver gives this uh, big speech uh, when he sees. Uh, I, he says it's his daughter or his child, yeah. and uh, she's she is a full on like mindless zombie. She's standing there next to him. She's like, "Who are you? 
It's just so so weird sounding. And uh, he's like, this is, you know, this is the Jin's doing. We need to stop yeah, this. Yeah, look at what he's taken away from me. Look at look at what happens when you try to fight him. Yeah. And he's like, you, you know, just give up. And he gets mad. He gets mad at Oliver because he says, you'll say anything to get my help. And then Oliver's like, well, damn, what can we do? I, I don't want to leave that girl like that. So he's like, okay, well... Mr. Drippy's like, well, let's uh, let's go back to Motorville and see if we can find her uh, soulmate. Maybe that can give us a clue of what we can do, because she's not just brokenhearted; she's missing a piece of her heart, and she's closed up her heart, not allowing anybody else in. So we can't just easily take somebody's heart and then give it to her. So we're gonna have to do a little bit more investigating. And that's where I saved the game and stopped. So I can't talk okay. about any. I can't talk about anymore. Okay. But that's say that's probably what about five six hours in. Yeah, probably. Maybe a little bit more. But yeah, uh, so far I feel like I like this game, but the combat is becoming an issue for me. That's that's really what it all boils down to. Yeah, I feel like I like this game, and the combat's the most exciting thing for me. I can't wait to figure out how I'm going to pair together my familiars, which ones I'm going to get leveled up, and, you know, are they going to be my constant familiars for the game, or am I going to sub them out? Am I going to have, you know, am I going to set up a team, like a heavy, uh, a speed attacker, you know, a mage-type familiar for spells? You know, I I just, I don't know what that's going to look like as the game unfolds. Well, we'll definitely see. So uh, we do have a few emails. Let's uh, let's go down the list here. Let's uh, let's do start with the Nino Cooney ones. Uh, first one comes from Jamie. Uh, it's relatively short. Uh, it says here, uh, "Hi guys, I haven't gotten very far into this game, and I have a feeling that it's going to be one that I stay behind on while you guys cover it. But I wanted to spend send at least one email." Then the other people who are playing along will, uh, will have to carry the emails. I've only gotten to the part where Drippy wakes up and they go off looking for a wand. So basically still in the intro. I really like the look of the game. I don't think I've played anything that looked quite so much like an anime. It feels like I'm playing a Ghibli movie, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That said, it makes me wonder what the combat will be like. I just can't imagine Oliver in a fight. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing how that's done. When it comes to the theme of the year, the only game I can think of to suggest is Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age because it's one of the few I haven't played or even really knew about for some reason. Of course, that's a good I'd, suggestion. There you go. We're, we're planning on doing that one. I'd also be up for almost any Final Fantasy game. I know you guys mentioned Zodiac Age in one of the previous episodes, so I'm just helping to nudge in that direction. Anyways, hope you all have a great start to the year, and we all have a fantastic 2018. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, our next email comes in from Neo Shakespeare, and uh, he says, uh, I don't really have much of a history with this game. I think I had a relatively quiet release, and I picked it up on sale a while later. Um, 
It's been sitting in my backlog for years with every intent of playing it at some point. As for my first impressions, I would sum this up, uh, this game up in two statements. Number one, Harry Potter loses his mother, finds out he's a wizard by his stuffed toy, gets whisked away to a Dragon Quest-like world, and ends up training Pokemon. Number two, this game is deceivingly simple yet multi-layered. I'm about 30 hours into this game, and I st- and it is still introducing new mechanics. Admittedly, I think it starts a little slow and almost too sweet, but it oozes charm and makes it relatively easy to get through at its lower points. With that being said, I actually think the pacing of this game is fantastic, but it doesn't really take off until uh, you get to Al Mamoon. Uh, the game does a wonderful job of gradually adding new ga- uh, game mechanics so as to not become too overwhelming. I don't want to say too much, but you will see what I mean. This is a game that not only can I enjoy, but my five-year-old enjoys following along as well. I let him name all my familiars. The first, fam- <laughs> <laughs> the first familiar he named uh, Fly Mun, the lemur-like character he named Curly, and the sprout <laughs> character he named Baby. I really appreciate some of the game's choices designers uh, made to respect players' time, such as lower-level enemies will run away, save points yep. refill hit points and magic points. If you die, you can try again at the cost of 10% of your money. The rock-paper-scissors yep. mechanic of the familiar sigils signs keeps the battle interesting and encourages switching familiars during combat for best impact. Sun beats moon, moon beats star, and star beats sun. Technically, planet works well against all sigil signs, but I haven't found anything with a planet sigil yet. For the most part, I only use Oliver for boss battles, where I can use a combination of defend and spells. Effectively, canceling out of defend and attack becomes more important with timing when processing later in the game. Or progressing later in the game, excuse me. That's interesting, because I still do spend most of my time with really mighty. He's he's. I spend probably... That's where I start. Everything bases around mighty hitting and defending. Yeah. And then not until health gets low or his timer's about up do I switch back to Oliver. Yeah. Let's see your Familiar development gets more elaborate as you progress, including metamorphosis, i.e. Pokemon evolution. Leveling up, new spells, skills, assignments, and food-based improvements. All foods can increase familiar stats, but only favorite foods will increase familiarity. The amount of food-based stats increases will cap until familiarity increases from favorite foods. Additionally, you uh, can't feed them too much at one time or they will get full and have to wait until they get hungry again. The lore stone and book are great for explaining th- these things, but there is almost little too much, too much information in those two resources. Some of the stories unlocked in the book are pretty good, though, for adding a little extra flavor to the game here. All in all, I'm really enjoying this game. I think I'm a little over halfway done, but it still has a, my full attention. I'm looking forward to the sequel the more I play this game. I just hope it stays whimsical and doesn't end being a story about a kid suffering from a disassociative disorder to deal with the death of his mother. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Thank you for that email, Chad. Yeah. He also responds to another uh, question we had uh, in another email, which I'm going to read now. And we were asking, what qualifies as a RPG? 
and that is a good question that I think a lot of people can and can't answer. So here's what he says. Before I get into a long, uh, God, uh, diatribe, is that how you pronounce that? Yep. There you go. Yeah. Uh, regarding, I just say rant, but that's just me or discussion. You, you're, you're more vocal than I am or your verbiage is better. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, regarding what I think uh, characterizes an RPG, I just wanted to give a few suggestions for your year of the RPG, JRPG, excuse me. Number one, Suikoden 2, a.k.a. possibly one of the best JRPGs ever. Tales of Vesperia, a.k.a. supposedly the best of the Tales series and a 360 exclusive. Number three, Lost Odyssey. Would love to replay this one. Uh, Lost Odyssey is on my short list. I would like to play that. Lost, yeah, Odyssey, Lost Odyssey is one of the only games that's ever made me cry. Like, legit, that, that game made me cry. Uh, so here. This is just my opinion, but I think defining RPGs boils down to player agency. Uh, unlike the arcade style of the earliest generations of games, player agency... Uh, was mostly reserved for RPGs. However, most games now have some level of player agency. Uh, if you broke down into the most basic of RPG elements, uh, cumulatively elevated on a spectrum and compared to a, a majority threshold, it could help in trying to separate RPGs from games that have some RPG elements. For example... Character creation, 10 points. Character progression, 10 points. Stat system, 10 points. Inventory management, 10 points. Nonlinear narrative, 10 points. Side quest system, 10 points. Uh, dialogue slash choice systems, 10 points. Party choice system, 10 points. NPC interaction, 10 points. Explorability, 10 points. If the threshold is set at 60 points on a 100-point scale, then those uh, with a, a cumulative score of 60 or higher, might be considered as RPGs. That's interesting because it puts them all up as non-necessary. It's just how many of these elements you have. So I guess I guess my question to that, my response to that is, I wonder, are there any of these elements that are absolutely necessary? Hmm. Well, let's see here. Some examples are as follows. Skyrim, 100 points. Mass Effect, 100 points. Dragon Age, 100 points. Horizon, 70 points. Assassin's Creed Origins, 70 points. Yakuza, 70 points. Far Cry Primal, 60. Wolfenstein, 240. Tomb Raider, 40. Tales, Telltale's The Walking Dead, 30 points. The point is, almost all games have some RPG elements of player agency now. The lines between what was once considered a traditional RPG versus any other style... Uh, of game is so blurred, I don't think there truly is any real definitive way to clearly separate them. Just my two cents, Chad. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. There's so many games are near the border or so mixed that it's hard to, to really tell what they are. So I would say that there's elements of RPGs and a lot of stuff. I feel like character progression is one of the bigger things to me 
that yeah. define an RPG. So like, uh, but the thing is, is like, I don't consider Call of Duty an RPG, but if you go into the multiplayer, you do kind of have a character progression. You level up after every kill and you, you know, you can then yep. get different loadouts for your guns, stuff like that. But I still don't qualify that as an RPG. It most certainly has RPG elements, but I feel like, I agree, but and I think that's a great example because they very clearly said we want to take what works with RPGs and bring it into a shooter. Yeah. So I mean, it. I don't think anybody would call Call of Duty an RPG, but they very clearly said this part of it is from RPGs, and we think it'll work in our game. You know that it's a hard one to define. You know, like, because there's definitely a difference between The Witcher 3 and Call of Duty. Um, but if you want to go further and blur the lines even more, take a game like Borderlands, which is a first-person shooter, but it's loot-driven, stat-driven. There's uh, a skill tree, you know, uh, there's uh, leveling up, stuff like that. So uh, would you consider Borderlands an RPG? Yeah, to me, that one's that one's as, almost as close as you can get to the the middle. I, yeah. I, I can't tell if it's a shooter with RPG elements or an RPG that with shooter elements. Yeah. It's the same way like the division. The division, man, let me tell you something. I got a buddy of mine who I work with. He is still deep into the division. That game, the customization and, and the stats and the freaking like loadouts and stuff like that for gear blows Diablo out of the freaking water. Oh my God! He he was telling me today even about like all the different things that you could do for customization in the division, which is a third person shooter. And I'm like, damn, that's that's more of an RPG than freaking Diablo is. <laughs> it it really is. I'm just like, oh my God! You know, I was like, I I played a lot of the division, but he's still deep into it, and he got even deeper than I ever did. It, it's it's weird nowadays. Everything's blurring around because I think people people enjoy certain aspects of RPGs and it works. Character progression, seeing that little tick go up every time you kill something. You know, you filling yeah, up that filling up that bar to level up. You know? Yeah, there's value in that no matter the context of the game. Because you feel like you're getting something done. And that's and I think that's kinda like that carrot on a stick that gets people to to get into them. You know, and I, I feel like there's people out there who only play you know, uh, Call of Duty or, you know, first-person shooters or action games and stuff like that. And if they get into those RPG elements, they could possibly get into a game like Diablo or The Witcher 3 or Final Fantasy even. You know, it's it's one of those things where I've, I've known people who were not big RPG players who I then introduced to games that had RPG elements and now are huge RPG players. So it's, and it, but then once again, what's that? What the hell is an RPG? You know? Yeah. Nowadays, you couldn't, you, I can't really tell. You know, Final Fantasy 15. I mean, I, I beat that game, and that could be considered an action game. Uh, you know, it's, it's weird. And then I, I brought up the whole thing of is The Legend of Zelda an RPG? Where, well, while you don't have as many stats as a, what people think an RPG is, I I still consider that an action RPG. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, action RPGs in general, I guess, are you know one clear step away. But uh, but I think you get this kind of blending in everything. I mean, if you're talking about movies, you can have, but you know, Ar- Army of Darkness is that a horror movie or a comedy? Maybe it's more comedy. Uh, Cabin in the Woods is is that a horror movie? Uh, maybe, not really. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't consider it a horror movie. I guess it's got horror tropes. You know, it's set to be like a horror movie, but it isn't one. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you can have certainly blending in, you know, in any media, really. Yeah. I mean, if you were to get into, like, what is what is the ultimate hardcore RPG, I mean, I would go, I would lean toward, like, the Baldur's Gate series. Which, which like, legitimately just translates old school D and D into a digital form. Like to the yeah. point where you're having, you have a character sheet that, you know, like fucking before 3.5 D and D, which is like, you know, uh, God, uh, D a C O. I can't remember what it was. I, I, I never played it, but I looked back at it like, uh, the stats of like how many points to actually hit. You didn't have AC. You just had, uh, or you, you did have AC, but you had this weird formula of like when something hits you and when it misses, it's nuts. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I think that, um, it's fun to talk about cause I, I, you know, I like to hear what other people consider an RPG and what they don't, you know, and anybody out there who's listening, send an email telling me what you think is an RPG. Where do you draw the line? Where's the line where yeah. RPG stops? I mean, setting certainly shouldn't be any kind of a defining factor, but I think it's maybe easier to see a game as an RPG if it's got knights and castles and dragons. Yeah. Or, you know, I guess in this day and age, you know, spaceships is a in, in a sci-fi setting is a pretty good context for an rpg yeah or if you want to if you want to break barriers you can have that wonderful game alpha protocol which is a modern spy rpg yeah yeah you don't see too many of those (laughs) no you don't see anything like that uh i don't know it's it's wild now man everything's everything's got rpg elements into it and you know what i'm totally fine with that because i enjoy that stuff Yep. You give me a shit ton of stats. You make stuff. If you make everything like Diablo 2, I'm I'm in stat heaven. You know, and make it significant. I mean, to the point that it's even infiltrating sports games. Oh, yeah. Like, look at at, uh, the show. Road to the Show is an RPG. That's a baseball RPG. Yeah. And like now they're like giving story modes to sports games where you can choose how you want to handle certain situations at like press conferences and shit. <laughs> so weird. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. So anybody out there who's listening, send us an email. It's Drew at ZTGD.com. Let me know what, what defines an RPG for you. And what game would you consider an RPG that some people wouldn't? So, but yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be it for us. 
you can follow us all on Twitter. I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Uh, you already got the email address. Uh, that's about it. Got Game of the Year show coming up soon. Uh, in fact, uh, I will be recording the Phoenix Down version of that on Saturday, which is uh, when this goes up, which will be Friday. So if you want to get in your Game of the Year lists, you can send uh, me an email, and I will read them off on the show when we record on Saturday. Uh, we're splitting the show. I will not be able to be on Sunday show. Uh, so we're going to have half the crew on Sunday, half the crew on Saturday. I know for a fact John and Sophie will be on Saturday. I don't know if anybody else will. It may just be us three. So we'll see. But yeah, we're going to do that. Um, that's it. That's all the announcements I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get back into the the alternate world, the other world. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Will I be overburdened with more combat woes? We'll find out. Um, and I will announce on the uh, Phoenix Down Twitter how far we're going to make it for the next recording. Uh, so that way we're everybody's kind of on the same wavelength. But that's it for us. I appreciate everybody listening. We're going to get out of here. Uh, but until then, I'm Drew. And I'm Matt. And we're gone. You guys have a great one. Uh, happy 2018. And uh, we'll be back next week with the continuation of Nino Cooney, Wrath of the White Witch. Thank you.